Hello and welcome to Cause Hive's Cause Projects podcast series. My name is Julia Kolkova and I'm a law graduate with the Cause Project Practice Group. I'm joined by Cause Senior Associate Dave Hasty and Emily Steiner. Our podcast looks at cladding issues and we will focus on the VCAD decision in the lacrosse dispute. On 25th of November 2014, a resident on the 8th floor of the lacrosse tower left a cigarette in a plastic container which caught a light. The fire quickly spread up the external cladding wall to the roof of the tower, causing millions of dollars in damages. The inspections after the fire raised questions about suitability of the combustible cladding used in the external facade wall. Almost five years after the fire took place, VCAT has handed down its decision in relation to liability for the combustible cladding used in the lacrosse building. David and Emily, welcome. Can you tell us more about the decision? So this case arose out of, um, as you said, the fire that took place in the lacrosse building in 2014. So around 200 owners claimed current and future losses of more than $12 million in connection with that fire. Uh, They sued the builder, the building surveyor, the architect, the fire engineer, and three other parties who weren't actually represented at the VCAP proceeding, including the person who lit the cigarette that initially set the fire off. As is pretty common knowledge at this stage, the primary issue was the use of aluminium composite panels for the external wall cladding. The owner sued the builder, L.U. Simon, for breach of the warranties imposed by Section 8 of the Domestic Building Contracts Act, um, which are general implied warranties that apply to builders of all domestic building work, including large-scale domestic building work like that done for lacrosse. And Em, I might chime in there that obviously we know in New South Wales, um, there's also, that's 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 reflected and, and replicated effectively by Section 18B of the Home Building Act there as well. Yeah, so those warranties are essentially that for example, the builder warrants that the work will be carried out in a proper and workmanlike manner um, in accordance with the plans and specifications in the contract. Due care and skill, all that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Judge Woodward at VCAT ordered that LU Simon pay to the owners just under $6 million um, because it had breached these implied warranties regarding materials, compliance with the law and fitness for purpose. But in an interesting plotline twist, LU Simon didn't end up having to pay the majority of that. That's because Judge Woodward found that the building surveyor architect and fire engineer were concurrently liable for the losses suffered by the owners. So they were each found to have breached their respective consultancy agreements by failing to exercise due care and skill when it came to the specification in terms of the architect and approval of the ACPs for the uh, fire engineer and building surveyor. That, that's right, Em, and I suppose it's really interesting when you have a look and break down those respective percentages. You Obviously, we've got the building surveyor, so Gardner Group, um, they copped 33%, the architect, um, Ellenberg Fraser, 25%, the fire engineer, Thomas Nicholas, uh, 39%, and now the individual whose cigarette actually started the fire uh, was apportioned 3%. But as you mentioned, M, um, that was effectively worn by L.U. Simons. Yeah, and that's effectively just because it was an individual, not a company, who started the fire. So um, the individual wasn't represented at VCAT and was unable to make payment of that 3% of the $6 million that fell to L.U. Simon to pay, which is a pretty extraordinary outcome given that it was L.U. Simon that the claim was originally brought against. And if we're being honest, I'm not sure that much of the construction industry expected that this would this would be the outcome. No, definitely. I mean, obviously what we would always do is try and seek contribution um, downstream, but uh, for it to play out like it did was um, was quite fascinating to, uh, to read in the decision of, um, of Justice Woodward. 
And it should also be noted as well that um, the position was reserved on the remaining $7 million of the claim. So we'll have to watch this space to see what comes out of that. Thank you, Emily and David, for taking us through the VCAT decision. Are you able to tell us what would be some of the potential implications? So that's a really good question, Julia. I think importantly coming out of this decision is the fact that Judge Woodward made extremely clear that the judgment should be considered in context and with regard to the specific factual matrix of the case. Um, it's, you know, it shouldn't be taken as a general statement about how and where liability will fall in other cladding cases. And, and I suppose, Em, I might jump in there too, is that, I mean, that, that's, that's standard with um, your typical Belgrove and Eldridge analysis where, you know, you really do have to look at the facts um, before the court or, or the relevant tribunal and, and assess them. Yeah, absolutely. But having said that and, you know, putting at the forefront that that was sort of how the decision was framed, what we can take away is, I suppose, most specifically to the cladding issue is that builders are now officially on notice of the risks associated with ACPs. Um, so the judge in this case found that L.U. Simon had not failed to take reasonable care uh, primarily because at the time that the ACPs were installed on lacrosse, there was a poor understanding among building professionals about the risks associated with ACPs. So there was no reason to expect a group of building professionals to have a better understanding to that of architects, building surveyors and fire engineers who, in this case, were ultimately found to be, you know, to bear the brunt of the liability. And, and let's be clear that we're talking about sort of pre-2014 uh, this has more than played it played itself out in in the media in in recent years. So obviously, there's going to be a more stringent analysis um, by the relevant court and tribunal placed on any further litigation that might come before that respective court or tribunal. Em, I, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I think builders are you know much more unlikely to enjoy this kind of leeway for too much longer, um, given the now high profile of the dangers of ACPs, um, particularly after the Lacrosse and Grenfell fires. Another thing to take away um, from a builder's perspective, at least, is that risks should always be passed down the contracting chain. Um, now, that's not a new proposition, but it's something that's worth noting anyway. Um, the risk transfer was done so effectively by LU Simon that its effective liability was reduced from what could have been 100% to 3%. And that 3%, as we said earlier, was only because the individual whose cigarette lit the fire was unable to pay. And, and, and I suppose the flip side of that for consultants is that they should be aware of the types of tactics that owners and builders, for that matter, use to pass the risks downstream. It's played out in, through this VCAT decision. And, you know, again, it's obvious that consultants should do what they can to manage the risk being passed down to them. So risks can be managed effectively with liability caps, for example, and obviously exclusions. Um, Having appropriate insurance in place is also another obvious and, and critical risk management measure to adopt. And on that as well, Dave, it's while it's important to have the appropriate insurance in place, it's also really important to make sure that if there is a potential claim that's coming your way, you um, notify your insurer properly and effectively under the, under the insurance um, policy. Um, if you don't, for example, provide enough detail about the type of claim or the type of cladding that has been used, um, it may be open to the insurer to um, not provide coverage if they haven't accepted your notification as a valid notification under the policy. So that's just something to keep in mind that insurance is important, but you have to use it appropriately as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, now, can we turn our minds to the likelihood of an appeal? Do you think that is something that is possible in this case? Um, I, I might take that one in. Um, so I guess... 
in this case, there are four potential parties who might want to appeal the decision. Um, they are obviously the building surveyor, the architect, the fire engineer and the individual whose cigarette started the fire and now I think has um, has run home to France. Mm, that's right. Uh, Although query whether he will, you know, he got off you know, reasonably scot-free given that L.U. Simon fo- footed the bill. I, I don't think he'll be appealing. <laughs> um, so, look, these parties could only appeal the decision on a question of law. So, in other words, by identifying specific mistakes made by VCAT in applying the law. Now, that is the relevant section of the VCAT Act is Section 148. Um, and, you know, those consider- considerations are whether the tribunal has identified and applied the relevant legal test, i.e. whether there's an error of law, and whether there is sufficient evidence to support a finding of a particular fact. So I guess then that takes us to um, the requirement under the Supreme Court Act, um, Section 14C. And the question that you need to ask and, and need to satisfy um in terms of seeking leave, um, uh, special leave to the um, Court of Appeal, is is there a real prospect of success? Um, now, I guess we're not going <laughs> we're not going to be answering that today, but it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. I, I anticipate. Um, that obviously there would be an intention to appeal, an intention to appeal, I should say. Um, whether or not that is successful, we will no doubt um, know sooner rather than later, I would have thought, Em. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would expect that at the very least all of the parties who um, had to make some payment under this decision would be at least considering their options um, for appealing. So I, I do think we have to watch this space pretty closely. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, another consideration that we really should be turning our minds to is what sort of weight um, this particular decision will have going forward. Now, in the event that um, um, leave to appeal isn't granted and and the decision of VCAT stands, will the Supreme Court follow this decision? More importantly, will courts and tribunals of other jurisdictions within Australia follow this decision? Again, not something that I guess we can give you a conclusive answer on today, but, you know, I guess hypothetically, will the District Court of New South Wales or the Supreme Court of New South Wales follow VCAT's decision? I'm not necessarily convinced that they would. Em, what are your thoughts? Dave, I think that's a good question. I suppose something to remember here is that VCAT really was engaged in an exercise of, you know, a reasonably standard consideration of proportionate liability, um, contract interpretation, um, assessment of loss and damage, um, etc. So there wasn't really any groundbreaking precedent that's been set here. It's just that this is the first major cladding decision. Um, so I'm not too sure how, if at all, this will be directly applied in other cases in other jurisdictions. But, I mean, it's very possible that it will be referred back to, so we'll just have to see how that goes. That's right, Em, and, and, and as you've rightfully pointed out, the decision of Justice Woodward really did turn on the facts be- before his mm-hmm. honour. So, again, I guess we say we just have to watch this space. And before we finish, is there anything else that um, we might take away from the VCAT decision? I, I guess a decision like this, if it stands, is obviously going to impact on on questions of insurance and insolvency. And we've already seen um, cladding rectification agreements and, and even a relief fund proposal um, in the works. And look, there's em, there's even been mention of a, of a Royal Commission um, in, in, into cladding. Yeah, that's right. So a Royal Commission has been flagged as a potential option, but um, Planning Minister Richard Wynne has dismissed that idea. 
um, effectively on the basis that the Victorian Cladding Task Force has already revealed the nature and extent of the problem and has identified what needs to be done to fix it. But the fact that it's even being raised as a potential option is really reflective of just how big the issue is and how seriously it's being taken in the community and the industry. Thank you, David and Emily. That was a really insightful discussion on the VCAT decision in the lacrosse building. We'll watch this space. My name is Julia Kolkova and thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us for the next edition of Cause Hivis. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute and should not be relied upon as legal advice. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Please feel free to get in contact with one of our lawyers.